This is The Guardian. I'm Laura Murphy-Oates and this is The Full Story. Bleached and dying coral, a sign the reef is under strain. This summer was supposed to be a period of rest for the Great Barrier Reef, with cool La Nina conditions allowing the coral to recover and rejuvenate. But last Friday, the government's management agency for the reef declared that there's been a mass bleaching event across the reef. Mostly minor to moderate in the far north and mostly severe in the central Great Barrier Reef, where the heat stress has been the worst. So what does this mean for the push to get the reef listed as in danger and for the future of the reef in the even hotter summers ahead? Delegates from the UN World Heritage Centre are set to arrive in Australia within days to assess whether the reef should be added to the list of heritage sites in danger. Surveys are underway to assess the full extent of the damage. The last serious bleaching event on the Great Barrier Reef occurred. Today the Great Barrier Reef and a new milestone of bleaching. It's Monday, the 28th of March. So, Graham, you went out to snorkel on the Great Barrier Reef just over a week ago. Can you tell me about your journey out to the reef? Sure. Graham Redfern is an environment reporter at Guardian Australia. So... I went out with a scientist called Adam Smith. He worked at the Marine Park Authority for, I think, about 15 years. Now he runs sort of a science consultancy and there's a bunch of scientists there. All right, so it's Dr. Adam Smith, Managing Director at Reef Ecology. And you were with me yesterday. Um, you held the bucket for a while on the way out. <laughs> it was a little bit rough on the way out. Yeah. yeah. We're going to this place called John Brewer Reef. Should that reef look like? Well, reefs chop and change depending on the seasons, but I was out there a month ago and it was a beautiful, healthy reef. 80% coral cover, less than 1% disease, no crown of thorn starfish. Adam goes here a lot. Um, And about a month ago, he'd said it it looked pretty good. This is one of the best reefs offshore townsville and one of the best reefs on the Great Barrier Reef. This is supposed to be one of the best reefs and one of the healthiest reefs anywhere near Townsville and indeed sort of anywhere on the reef. And now it has changed and it's under pretty big stress. We were motoring for about three and a half hours to get out to this reef. And for hours, there's no indication that you're going to see anything at all. And the the water, it starts to cool down, the waves start dropping off. And you're like, oh, that's weird. We're going further out. But like the waves are dropping and that's because you're getting close to the reef and the reef's sort of taking out a lot of that wave energy. You still can't really see anything. And then you just, you, you, you see it. And it's just this vivid blue aqua thing that's under the water somewhere you can't you just the, the water changes color and you know, what's going on there and it's mind-blowing this reef is spectacular there are fish sharks octopus corals everywhere and as i snorkel over the top of the reef flat the reef itself is only a couple of meters underneath me 
the first thing I noticed was uh, the water was warm. Adam had looked at his dive watch as soon as we got in the water. It's about 29 degrees. And you you snorkel along a line for maybe five or 10 minutes. And then you just sort of through the haze, you see the reef start to reveal itself. And actually the first thing I see is a staghorn coral about the size of a fridge. Mm-hmm. It's surrounded by other corals, sort of these corals that look like massive dinner plates. They're looking okay. But the first pretty much the first thing i see is a bone white staghorn coral i assume from bleaching yeah this this coral should be sort of a brownie color but it's bleached the the heat in the water has stressed the coral out the coral has expelled the the algae that they live with there's this like relationship a symbiotic relationship that all corals nearly all corals have with with algae Uh, the algae gives them their color feeds them but when the water gets too hot they separate the algae leaves and all you see is you can see through the translucent flesh of the coral straight to its sort of bony structure underneath Mm. what else did you see on the reef The colours are amazing. The colours are these iridescent, sort of almost fluorescent yellows, blues, purples. And to an untrained eye, a bit like mine, this looks just stunning. Mm. But what I'm actually looking at, Adam tells me... Yeah, the most graphic and the most concerning is the white. Yeah. But we also saw pinks and yellows and iridescent greens and blues and browns and that's not normal. A lot of coral species will go through this stage where as the heat rises from a heat wave from local conditions being driven by climate change, first they'll start to go pale, then they will start to lose their colour and some corals, they have this pigment in them that they can start to produce and it's like a sunscreen because it's trying to protect them from the sun above because bleaching is about heat but it's also about light and these pigments are fluorescent uh, so it, it looks beautiful but it what it is is a sign that that's a coral that's under stress what would it normally look like look it would still be a colorful reef but it wouldn't be as graphic or as flamboyant almost. flamboyant yeah, yeah 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 it's weird isn't it it feels like it's showing off but it's not it is, yeah. yeah. It's stressed. It's like you going for a run yeah. and getting all really red in the face. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So yeah. that's what the corals do. Yeah. It's fighting. There's all sorts of, they call them sub-lethal effects of heat stress like this. They don't reproduce as well. That's pretty fundamental. They don't grow as quickly. And also, they're more susceptible to coral disease. And there's a few coral disease. And we saw some evidence of coral disease on on the reef. Not much, a little bit. So, Graham, we know that coral bleaching on the Great Barrier Reef is becoming more common as ocean temperatures rise. But as Dr Smith mentioned to you, this is supposed to be one of the healthiest reefs in the whole Great Barrier Reef system. How significant is this, that it is currently bleaching? All right, so maybe if we sort of step back a bit and look at bleaching. Now, corals will bleach naturally and they'll do it locally and there's evidence going back 
decades and decades, like a, probably 100 years or so of localised coral bleaching. Mm. But what we're talking about here is something really, really different. We're talking about mass bleaching, widespread bleaching that goes on across hundreds and hundreds of kilometres, across hundreds of reefs, all at the same time. And the first time we really saw this was in 1998. And 1998 also happened to be an El Nino year. Mm. That tends to give us hotter temperatures on the East Coast, less cloud, a uh, bit less rain, more heat, and that's not good for corals. Mm. Now, we've always had El Nino years. They've happened forever. But by 1998, it feels like there's, there's enough added heat in the system from climate change that the corals can't cope with an El Nino anymore, mm. uh, and they start to bleach en masse. Now, we've had five mass coral bleaching events so far, 1998, 2002, 2016, 2017, 2020. Two of those were in El Nino years. Three of them were in sort of what we will call a neutral year. So what is really worrying about this event is that it's happening in a La Nina year. La Nina year should be much cooler. Cool enough for the corals not to bleach. There's plenty of cloud usually. There's more rain. The cloud, the rain keeps temperatures lower. And and I said that the last bleaching event was in 2020. There was a hope that this La Nina would give these corals all across the reef a recovery period, you know, a chance to grow, no heat stress, good reproduction in the spawning period near the end of the year. But it, it looks like now that this hasn't happened. How often has the Great Barrier Reef bleached in a La Nina year? Well, never. This is the first time we've seen severe widespread bleaching on the Great Barrier Reef during a cooler La Nina summer. Professor Terry Hughes, who's a leading coral scientist and reef expert at James Cook University, that's based in Townsville as well, who's examined all of these bleaching events in scientific papers, he says that this has never happened in La Nina. That's a huge surprise. This is the first time we've seen severe widespread bleaching on the Great Barrier Reef during a cooler La Nina summer. And that's really scary because we, uh, we can anticipate really severe damage as, as average global temperatures keep going up and up and up. Right, so this has never happened before and Professor Hughes called this bleaching severe and widespread. I'm wondering exactly how many reefs have been affected within the reef system and how bad is this damage? That's the same question that the Great Barrier Reef Marine Park Authority had. They're the government's management agency for the reef and the Australian Institute for Marine Science, the, the government's sort of pinnacle marine science body. They'd been getting reports about bleaching for weeks and weeks. They'd been getting forecasts about the heat stress over the corals for months and months and you get to a point where you know that the heat is peaking they start to get a lot of reports coming through and they go okay we need to get in the air and they did and they flew across the entire length of the great barrier reef 
so these flights have been going actually since 1998, the first bleaching event that some of the scientists decided they need to get in the air. And they developed a way to observe the reefs in low-flying aircraft and then score them. So they will score how badly a reef has bleached. It's considered to be severe if 60% or more of the corals on a reef have bleached. Hello everyone and welcome to this week's Reef Health Update. We have now completed... And on Friday, the first results from these aerial surveys were released. Coral biologist Dr Neil Cantin from the Institute joins us to provide an update of observations from the air. Thanks, David. I've just completed aerial surveys working with the Marine Park Authority's Reef Health team conducting aerial surveys using a combination of helicopters and fixed-wing small aircraft. And we've surveyed close to 750 reefs in all regions of the marine park. What did they find? So Dr. David Wachenfeld, he's the Marine Park Authority's chief scientist, he said the reef had been hit, uh, well, with a six-mass coral bleaching. The aerial survey showed almost all reefs across about a 1,200-kilometre stretch did have some bleaching, and mostly that bleaching was severe. This assessment of bleaching at multiple reefs in all four management areas confirms a mass coral bleaching event on the reef, the fourth since 2016 and despite La Nina conditions over this summer. So the authority actually splits the reef up into four management areas and they say that if two of them see widespread bleaching, then they call that a mass bleaching event. But the authority said on Friday that there'd been bleaching in all four zones. That's north to south. So most reefs along that worst stretch, which is kind of from the centre upwards, They were recording severe bleaching. And as I've said, that means at least 60% of an individual reef's corals have bleached. So it's it's pretty much, in terms of a La Nina year, it's pretty much the worst case scenario and it's unprecedented. The reef remains a resilient and beautiful ecosystem. Impacts from climate change and extreme weather are a reminder of the importance of global greenhouse gas emissions reduction and strong marine management actions that support the resilience of this magnificent ecosystem. We encourage people to come and see the reef, love the reef, and help us to protect the reef. Thank you, and please check again next week for our next update. Now, as I've mentioned, this bleaching has happened in what was supposed to be a cooler year. This is like a recovery period for the reef, La Nina. And Professor Terry Hughes says that if the reef can't anymore count on these cooler years for recovery, then that is an incredibly worrying development. And the implications of that going forward are are pretty scary for the state and the health of the reef and the corals and the fish and everything else that lives on it. But two years, three years, five years is far too short for anything like a full recovery, which takes about a decade, even for the faster growing species in in shallower parts of the reef. Um, For slower growing corals and for deeper parts of the reef, recovery takes a few decades. I asked Adam Smith 
back in his office about this. He said, bleaching in a La Nina year is, uh, is a wake-up call. So over the next couple of weeks or couple of months, there'll be a lot of people watching this. They'll be having some discussions. What's it all mean? And I guess the biggest thing for me is um, it's, a, it's another wake-up call for the people that haven't taken significant action so far to really look at how we interact with the reef, interact with the planet, and we need to reduce our greenhouse gas emissions and move into better technologies, not by 2050. We need to do it now. So... Some people have said that this bleaching event is just even more evidence that the Great Barrier Reef should be listed as in danger by the World Heritage Committee. Next, could this bleaching put the Great Barrier Reef on the in danger list? So, Graham, mid last year, the Australian government was lobbying hard against a move to put the Great Barrier Reef on the in danger list, and they were successful. The World Heritage Committee, which is part of UNESCO, decided not to do that. What has happened since then when it comes to saving the reef? Yeah, so we have to separate this carefully first. UNESCO are the advisors. Uh, the World Heritage Committee is sort of a, a sovereign group of countries that can make their own decisions based on UNESCO's advice. Now, UNESCO and also the committee uh, have said that they want three things, and this was the resolution from the committee last year. They wanted Australia to do more to improve water quality on the reef. Uh, they wanted Australia to acknowledge the effects of climate change in their official reef management policy. It's known as the Reef 2050 plan. And they wanted Australia to have a, a, a monitoring mission. This was actually Australia's request. It would be carried out by UN scientists and it would look at the, the, the way that the reef is managed overall. Why would Australia request that? Yeah, well, Australia really wanted that because they made an argument that unless the UN science advisors had seen the reef for themselves and come and inspected it that they couldn't list the reef as in danger. Now, actually, there's nothing in the World Heritage Guidelines that says that needs to happen, but it was an argument that Australia made and they made it really strongly and it was one of the arguments that won the day. What progress have they made on these kind of three points, talking about climate change more in the plan, pollution, and now this monitoring mission? Yeah, so we get a report. Um, it should be once a year on water quality. It's very detailed. That hasn't come out yet. Mm. But the government has announced that there will be a billion dollars spent in the next nine years on the reef. And quite a large chunk of that goes towards improving water quality. So that's something they've addressed and they've put that in their policy document. Whether that will be enough a lot of conservation groups think it, it's a long way short of the amount of money that's needed on water quality. What they also did with this Reef 2050 plan, they now include Australia's climate targets. And there's some words of justification around that, that Australia wants to reach net zero by 2050 and that it's got these targets and that it's meeting its Paris targets. That's part of the policy document now as well. So those, those things have happened. Whether it's adequate is is a 
$1 billion question. Mm. Right. So the third plank of this is this monitoring mission to kind of check how the reef is going. Tell me about this. Yeah, the monitoring mission, uh, they had their first formal meetings last Monday. So about a week ago, these two scientists landed in Brisbane and then they started their their formal meetings the day after that. And it's a 10-day mission. As far as we know, over these 10 days, they will have gone to Lady Elliot Island, which is the far, far south of the Great Barrier Reef. They'll look at some revegetation projects there. They will have spent time in Townsville with the management agencies and the government scientists. They will, I understand, go um, and spend some time in Cairns where the, the, the MP Warren Ench is based. He's told me he's going to spend some time with them and talk to them up there. Whether or not they will actually go in the water and see bleaching, we don't know. Two reasons for that. We don't know the detail of the itinerary. And also, because the bleaching is sort of variable, two reefs next to each other, one can be quite badly hit, the other one can be okay. Even if we knew the itinerary, I don't think we would know whether they would have seen bleaching. Right. So this whole monitoring trip came about because Australia said, hold on a second, you know, we're doing great work. Also, you need to come and have a look at the work that we're doing in order to make this decision. So what could happen after this trip? Yeah, so what will happen next is once the mission is finished, uh, the scientists will write a report. That report will go to the World Heritage Centre in Paris. Then we will see some recommendations from UNESCO. Mm. Those recommendations will go to a meeting of the the World Heritage Committee, which uh, right now is scheduled for Russia in June. I think there's probably going to be some changes in that scheduling and certainly the location. At that meeting, could we see ourselves in the same situation we were in last year where an endangered listing is put forward again just a year later? We could. It depends on what the scientists see, what their observations are, whether they think that Australia really is doing enough to conserve the world's biggest reef system. Mm. The recommendation could be um, that it's not placed on the endanger list, but we will know in a couple of months. I'm wondering what an endanger listing would really change because, as we've discussed before, even the possibility of the reef going on the endanger list does spur action. It's really a mechanism to spur governments into action, right? I mean, are we already kind of seeing that happening right now? Yeah, that's a really good point because just the threat of an endangered listing has seen this revision of the Reef 2050 plan. Mm. It's seen a number of policy announcements from the government. It's raised international profile of the reef. So it's done something already, but an endangered listing won't turn off the impacts of climate change. UNESCO has said that an endangered listing would be an international rallying call for the reef. It will alert countries around the world that this place is in trouble. Mm. The problem that the World Heritage System has got is that the reef is just one of something like 80 natural sites listed as World Heritage that are showing impacts from climate change. Mm. So if the reef goes on the list, then what happens when all these other sites come up for a review in a World Heritage meeting? 
And that's been the argument that the Australian government has put. The, the government does not want the World Heritage Committee to put a site on the endangered list mainly because of impacts from climate change. Mm. It's a reputation thing. It's a reputation thing, but the Australian government is also trying to argue that if you do that, then you penalise, they say, a country that's doing everything it can to manage this reef in the way that they are. They, they say it's the world's best managed reef, and uh, I don't hear many arguments against that, actually. Regardless of what happens with the endangered listing, it seems pretty significant, the discoveries that have been made over the past couple of weeks, that a bleaching event can happen anytime during a La Nina in the neutral phase and El Nino. I mean, how are the experts that you've been spending time with over this past week feeling about that right now? While I was up in Townsville and in the last few days, I've asked multiple scientists what happens in the next El Nino. And some of them just pause and look at me or take a deep breath. And then they don't really have any words for what they think. There is honestly some, some real dread, fear on what might happen in the next El Nino or just next summer, whatever it is, La Nina, El Nino, neutral. Pretty much now every summer, scientists... And journalists are just looking at the weather and hoping for a bit of cool weather. So that, that means right now the fortunes of the reef are wrapped up in the vagaries of the weather. And the reason that it's now walking this tightrope every summer is because of global warming. The sea surface temperatures have been slowly increasing to the point where they push the water temperatures over the corals higher and higher to the point where it only takes a bit of warm weather for a few weeks and not a lot of cloud and that may start to tip them into a process where they start to bleach. It's the sixth event that we've seen on the Barrier Reef since 1998. It's the fourth event since 2016. The Barrier Reef of today uh, is quite different, uh, certainly in terms of the mix of species, than it was 30 years ago. Um, so Global warming and its impacts on the Great Barrier Reef are unfolding now before our eyes. It's not, you know, some future threat. Is what Professor Terry Hughes is saying here is that basically we already have a changed reef. I've kind of left it too late. I've never been to the reef. And the actual fundamental makeup of the reef right now is different from when I was a child and it may never go back to what it was. But it's not too late because I will say it can be a life-changing thing for you to go for, and for anyone to go. There are lots and lots of places on the reef that are still jaw-droppingly gorgeous to visit. Mm. But yes, what will they look like 20 or 30 years from now? Will they be mostly rubble covered in algae with spots of coral? We don't know. That was Graham Redfern, an environment reporter at Guardian Australia. In this episode, he spoke to Dr Adam Smith from Reef Ecologic and Professor Terry Hughes from James Cook University. I do recommend checking out Graham's reporting on this issue, including his piece from The Trip to the Reef titled It's Not Supposed to be White. One of the Great Barrier Reef's healthiest reefs succumbs to bleaching. 
That piece has some incredible pictures of John Brewer Reef with some interactive before and after photos of some of the corals, which I think really helps you understand what this bleaching does to corals. That's it for today. This episode was produced by Laura Briley-Newton and Joe Koning, who also did the sound design and mixing. The executive producers of Full Story are Gabrielle Jackson, Miles Matignoni, and me, Laura Murphy-Oates. Okay, catch you tomorrow.